Hey everybody, this is John Barrow, CEO of JV Sales, and I'm here with the sass holes, ready to have a very interesting conversation to see how much of a sass hole I am compared to them. Welcome sass holes. With a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Justin, KG, myself, Pete are dedicated to helping sales leaders or aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no bullshit approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Please subscribe to our YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Today, our guest is John Barrows. John is the CEO of JB Sales and author of the sales book for kids, I Want to Be in Sales When I Grow Up. I should have read that. He has provided sales training and consulting services to some of the world's fastest growing companies like Salesforce.com, Google, LinkedIn, Dropbox, and many others. His previous experience spans all aspects of sales at every level. From making 400 calls a week as an that's it as an inside sales rep to the VP of sales at his first startup that was later sold to Staples. Before we get to John, we got some Patreon love to give out to our business supporters. Unlock key account growth with the Man Farm Smart Software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Iron Man. Hey, KG. What? You know uh, Brent Keltner? I've, I've heard of that guy. I think he's written some books. Maybe he's been on our show. I don't know. He's got this master class, Grow Revenue Faster by Making the Shift from Product Driven Selling to Authentic Conversations. How can you not have an authentic uh, conversation? I think we're going to have an authentic conversation, uh, you know, about 10 minutes here. Oh, that's outstanding. Hey, Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brent and say KG sent you. Ask about the masterclass. We would also like to say, hey, Aaron J and Trent Das, thank you for your support. It's a real ego boost. Hey, looking. Software developer, manager, 10 years experience, CPON, MS, SQL, Angular, React, Azure, Cloud, Ask.net, Core, also Node, Jzz, Angular Web Development, email Pete at sassholes.net, recruiters, I got a hot one for you. Again, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Each subscribe, I'm telling you, it's like a magic fairy dust that turns 30 viewers into 3,000, or in John's case, over 6,000. And if you have the means, please support us on patreon.com slash sassholes. Whether it's buying us a beer or helping us prepare you for your budget meeting, it's better we beat you up than your boss. Okay, KG. <laughs> yes, Pete. I haven't even looked at what the joke is today. Because I don't you put, it put it anymore. In you guys suck. He's now you're going to surprise me. I like it. What's up, Pete? Carney. Oh, hey man, I went to the boat store uh, the other day, got this hell of a boat. I couldn't resist it. They had a hell of a sale going on. All right, we got. That's it. All right, shout outs, KG. So bad. All right. I thought I right. gave you a good joke. Yeah, I got you a good joke right here. Yeah, exactly. KG, who, let's give some uh, shout outs. 
I got I got three shout outs here for you. Uh, congratulations to Lori Harmon for starting a new position as a global head of business development at Cloudflare. That's a kind of a big name there. And then uh, congratulations to uh, Corinne Rice for being promoted to senior manager international field operations at Procore here in Los Angeles. See, there is actually some SaaS here in Los Angeles. And then uh, happy birthday to my uh, my friend, Lauren Weiner, who did, is did one of the best. Did you say that right? Lauren Weiner, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, she is one of the best salespeople that's ever worked for me, enterprise account executive, and she's looking for new opportunities in the next couple of months. So if anybody is looking for the best account executive, one of that's ever worked for me, Lauren Weiner. There we so go. Looking a, for so one. You, so you got a guy. I got a gal. All right, Carney. I see you put something in here. Thanks. Yeah. Man. So finally. Sorry, a little bit late in putting these in there, but Daniel Sanders, I want to give him a shout out for being promoted. Let me guess. He worked at Le Flexera. Yeah, global revenue operations at Flexera. So I wanted to give him a shout out. Oh, all right. Good guy. Hey, Rachel, Rachel Kiefner, new position account executive at Comey, Dominic Basta Pasta, shared about starting a new position, enterprise account executive at Sprinkler. Bethany Burgess, PHR, four years at Salesforce. That's another person at Salesforce we trained. I should get a commission. Brian Carrillo, one year at Aploy. Is that how you say it, KG, Aploy? Aploy. Uh, hey, Carney, you remember Leslie Martin? Oh, yeah, I know Leslie. She got promoted to executive vice president. Boom, boom, boom. Technology, mm -hmm. a career builder. I will applaud her. She's old school. She's headhunter.net old school. Oh, yeah. Mm. And John Bradshaw, 13 years at all the top bananas.com. Hillary Lewis, two years at DocuSign. KG, how do you know John Barrows? He's, he's, pretty, he's pretty big. I got this uh, interference in my ear. How do you know John Barrows? I met John, of course, I met him in Boston at a, an open view venture, venture partners. Um, I don't even know what you call it. It was sort of like a, what was it like a networking event? Yeah, like a little or, get together uh, with their portfolios and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Multi day. And I just, uh, this was 2013, 2012, ago, yeah. John. <laughs> so 10, 10 years ago. And, uh, and I just loved, uh, loved his, you know, no nonsense style, dare I say, mass hole style yep. of just sort of like, I, I own it. Call, yeah, call calling it like it is. And I, I just had uh, mad, mad respect for john and uh, your business has gone, uh, gone crazy, you know, since then, obviously, john, but uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Is uh, like, you know, as I always ask, like, hey, to prep for this, do, you know, I ask, can you swear? This is, look, some you know don't aren't cool because their audience, whatever, and others are like, no, let it fly. I'm like, all right, and I have a lot more funds on the one that I can let it fly because yeah. being from Boston and being from Boston and being a asshole, the f bomb is just part of the vocabulary. It's a verb, it's a noun, it's an adjective, you name it, and yeah. so uh, it'll it'll come out once in a while. But I'll I'll, I'll try to keep it, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll yeah, keep it somewhat intact. Say, say hi to your mother. Hey, I am mother. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I, you know, the funny thing is I used to talk like that, by the way, 
I used to, I had to change my accent because when I went down to school at university of Maryland, nobody could understand me. I mean, I, I would be the kid like, Hey, yeah, kid, I swear to God, let's go to the potty and drink some fucking beers. I'm going to fucking punch <laughs> my mouth. Like I would literally talk like that. And people would be like, what did you just say? I mean, I was like the party trick at part. Like people would like, come over, listen to this kid from Boston talk. <laughs> right, never mind. So I spent an entire semester pronouncing every single word that came out of my mouth. And I felt like I sound like an idiot, but yeah. it, uh, and, and, eventually beat it out of me that's so, it when I'm back so you're now. saying diction's important speaking yeah. of diction uh carney if we're interrupting your lunch let me know uh do you have a question for john <laughs> well no i was gonna say i walked by brad stevens yesterday yeah um nice he was getting coffee and saw jason tatum i'm rooting for the Celtics to turn this around. I was on a I flight. I sure hope so, man. I, I was on a flight going and watching the game on a flight with a bunch of Californians that were screaming in the eye. <laughs> I couldn't fucking stand it anymore. I'm like, I didn't care, but now I do. Go Boston. Yeah. There you go. I love it. Right. Well, hopefully they can turn it around. I don't know if they got. I don't know if they got the killer instinct in them though. That's my only fear. This is a great team, but I yeah. just they're not mature enough yet to put people away. Yeah. And so we'll see. We'll see. I think they'll win yeah. tonight. Games. I think it's going to game seven. We'll see what happens, though. Brad yeah. Stevens looks like he's 25 in person. Oh, always. He's always looked like he's 25. Is he the butler guy? Yeah. He's yeah. the general manager now. So I saw him walking with his wife. I was kind of creepy following him. And then really? I said, All right, I'll let him go. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 John, KG and I were talking before the show. You know, I did my five minutes of research on you like any good sure. sales rep would. And I see this nice uh, produced video of uh, Salesforce giving you kudos. And I'm like, how the hell did he get into Salesforce? And KG was sort of telling me this story. How did you make that ha happen? Uh, long Salesforce is my biggest customer, longest standing. When I was working at Basho, we actually used our approach to get into Salesforce. So the, the approach back then, which was unique back then, uh, was doing a very hyper-personalized email to the senior executive about something we found on about their news or their annual reports or something like that, and being super hyper-personalized and going all the way to the top and getting referred down and going from there. And we sent one to George, Hugh, and Frank uh, Vander Derder Derder. I always forget his last yeah. name. Uh, you know, this basically the head of sales and the head of marketing. And they both mm -hmm. got down to this guy, Doug Landis, who's a good friend of mine, actually lives in LA. And yeah, Kevin, in case you know him. Um, and I was talking to him this morning, as a matter of fact. And Doug and I became really good friends. 15 years later, I'm still training them. Uh, they're now a sponsor <laughs> of ours as well. And there was an opportunity and I didn't think much of it. They were like, Hey, you know, do you want to be part of this new series that we're doing? It's called think outside the quota. I was like, yeah, sure. Fine. Whatever. And I, I honestly, I, cause I had so many things going on. I'm like, sure. They're like, show up at this place in Boston at this time and bring a couple of changes of clothes and stuff. I'm like, okay, no problem. I show up. There's like 40 production people there. They've rented out the entire hotel with the roof deck overlooking the city. And it was a full day thing. And I'm going up against, you know, the, I think they did a series with like four or five different people. One was Tony Hawk. One was Damon John. One was the head, the CRO of Forbes. And I was saying, I'm like, you're putting me next to him? like, what the fuck? Like, are you serious right now? Like, holy shit. So anyways, it was a really cool experience. And, uh, you know, Salesforce has always been great to me. Uh, we've always had a fantastic relationship. So I, I'm looking forward to continuing it. How many salespeople at Salesforce do you think you have trained? Oh, thousands, 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 thousands. I mean, uh, 12, let's, let's just do easy math here. Uh, probably at least, let's see, 30 times 10, 20. 
at least 5,000, at least 4,000 over, over the years, uh, which Global. is why, you know, half of my business is built off of sales reps who have, who worked at Salesforce during my prime yeah. time and then have gone yeah. to be VP of sales someplace else. And they call me there up and go. they're like, Hey, we need your stuff. Come over here. So I'd say six degrees of separation, you know, uh, yeah. Kevin Bacon type of thing. I'd yeah. say, you know, our customers are one, two degrees of separation from Salesforce at most. Yeah. That's crazy, so, man. Well, what was this email that you sent? You didn't pull a selling the veto, did you, little Tony Basically, Paranello? I, yeah. I didn't send. I didn't send it. Full disclosure here. One of the reps did. I, I I would pay a lot of money for that email right now, and they deleted it off this. Like when the company went belly up, they deleted it off the server thing and all that other stuff. So I, I don't have it. But it was effectively, you know, peeling through their annual report, talking about something Benioff was was talking from a strategy standpoint and how we could help their teams and you know. So it's it, the the Basho or the YUI you now email is very similar to selling the veto, but super crunched down into a, you know, two scrolls on an iPhone type of thing. And the idea was picking up and then getting referred down, not saying I want to talk to you, but then, and then the whole obligation of the person below that's lost a lot of um, effectiveness over the years because people have bastardized it and they see sweet, doesn't want to talk to anybody and getting referred down isn't necessarily as good as it used to be because people have abused it so much. But man, 10 years ago, I got Mark Hurd to respond to me. I got Benioff to respond to me. I got, you know, some big, huge players that you would never, you know, as a sales rep think, holy shit. You know, these guys are responding to me with this stupid email. And so it was a, it was a great way to, to get in there, but yeah, so, I still so, pay money for that. So Tony Perinello is out of business now is what you're saying? <laughs> uh, look, I think a lot of people are out of, are going out of business uh, <laughs> right now uh, because they're not evolving with the time. So uh, yeah. yeah. All right. We'll, we'll edit it on post. Yes, Cardi. So I have a question. So yeah. one of the statements I often make, especially on the SaaS holes, but I make to a lot of people I'm talking to is that sales training and enablement seems to be one of the most overlooked areas in companies. Um, a lot of times I feel like the sales training aspect is more of a how do you do something at the company as opposed to, uh, or, or here's our sales methodology, but not really teaching them on how to sell and, and the command of message or whatever process you want to go through. And therefore, these mature companies, it ends up almost being like an admin, you know, this is where the contracts are, this is how you walk into the building, this is how you leave the building. Would you agree? And I feel like that's the worst situation that can be out there, and it's the most damaging to the uh, entire sales organization. That's one of my takes. I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think we've evolved quite a bit, right? I mean, it used to be the default. It used to be like, okay, you know, almost every organization starts with onboarding because they're growing so fast and they're like, oh shit, we need somebody to actually control this for a little bit. Hey, uh, Sally, you, you're pretty good with process and stuff. Could you be our sales train, you know, enablement department? And it's one person who's carrying 75 different bags at, with no funding, no budget, nothing. And they're taught to build something while they're riding the bike. Like that's the, the, the scenario that most startups as they grow. And they're, then they, and, and by patchworking that, they kind of get to a certain point. But then the problem is, and this is a tip for everybody out there, because um, it happened to me, is they get to a certain point where executives now say, okay, we need to take this seriously now, right? Because they've hit a wall or whatever it is. Then they go hire the VP of enablement who's been there, done that. They give them a decent sized budget and they let them go. Then they let them run. And the person who got them there is now supposed to work with them. So for anybody listening right now, if you're in enablement or any position for that matter in a startup, if you are a VP of something that got to a company to a certain level and then they hire an SVP of something, you are getting fired, period. 
That is the, that is the corporate nice way of getting you out without having to fire you. Because what's going to happen is you're just going to be pissed because you're going to have to transition all that knowledge to them. They're going to get all the credit and the budget, and you're going to be sitting there mad. And then you're eventually going to quit within the year. So they fix the glitch by hiring an SVP. So if that ever happens, they're going to, they're going to present it to you as a learning of, you know, experience and, oh, we just need to whatever. Fuck you. They just fired you. So get yeah. your resume ready and go find something else and tell them to pound sand. But yeah. to your question, Carney, you know, I think that it evolves from there. And I think companies are seeing much earlier now that they're investing in enablement sooner because they realize mm -hmm. what a strategic thing it should be within the organization. But then it's how that SDR or how that um, enablement team is constructed and what they train on. And unfortunately, to your point, it's a lot of the what, not the how, right? It's like, okay, you need to qualify. You need to do this. You need to do this. But like, what, like, what does it mean to be a sales professional? Like a lot of these kids were pulling right out of school with no training in whatsoever. And we give them a slide deck and a pitch and tell them in a, in a bunch of phone numbers and a, you know, and so it's like, go. And these kids are, uh, you know, and I have this whole thing on the, like the mentality of kids today coming out of school, like Gen X, most of us are kind of in the Gen X range, right? We were the last group to actually figure it out when we were kids, right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but when I was bored, in the house, my mom would literally kick me out of the house and say, go fucking do something. Just be home by dinner. Right. That type of thing. And I would go break things and burn stuff down and whatever it is, but I'd figure stuff out now today. And I know this with my daughter, cause I'm watching it every minute of every kid's day is structured. So they go from this school to this hour to this hour. They have soccer practice from this hour to this hour. They are iPad for 30 minutes. So, so literally every minute of their day has been structured. Then they go and, and oh, and by the way, they're taught to the test. So MCAS, all that shit, right? So there's no critical thinking anymore. So now they get out into the real world and they look at guys like us and they say, what do we do? And we, well, we tell them, we'll figure it out, right? And they look at us mm -hmm. sideways, like, what do you mean figure mm -hmm. it out? Like, tell me what mm -hmm. to do. And the reaction from us is, well, you don't know what to do. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. Here's a script. Here's a pitch. Here's a whatever. And a kid who came out of a structured environment, taught to the test, given a script, will read the script. There'll be no context to it. There'll be no business acumen to it. There'll be no development to it. So Carney, to your point, we're, we're stuffing this stuff down yeah. their throats in a very manufacturing oriented process, like, oh, the widget yeah. stamper type of thing, but we're not giving them the critical thinking of the understanding of why they're selling what they sell, who they're selling to, why it should matter, all that stuff, which I think is critically important. It almost seems like we're dumbing, what you just said there was interesting. I almost feel like what you said is we're dumbing down the, 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 the best to bring up the bottom and everyone then is playing off the script in their life and that then is, trying to apply it to the world. The fact that you say that, look, our daughter, you know, here in Massachusetts, we have a really good school system here in Massachusetts, top of the top of the country, basically. Right. And what we found out was now putting my daughter into the school system. They've done exactly that. You, when I was in school, they had advanced placement. You could take advanced courses if you were advanced, right? There was support mm -hmm. for that, but remember no child left behind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Conceptually, I, I like that. Conceptually, I don't want to leave kids behind. But what they've done is they've taken all the money out of the groups that excel and stop supporting them because they're basically like they're smart kids. You know, they don't need that much help. We need to focus all on the kids that need that, you know, that aren't the, the smart ones. So effectively, we're dumbing down everybody to a to an average that is not doing us as a, fa a favor as society goes. You know, uh, I, I um I love your commentary on that, by the way, John, uh, and going back to, you know, how we're onboarding reps. And yep. I feel strongly that um, we definitely need to have structure and expectations because I've been part of an onboarding process where it's like, there's your laptop, there's your monitor, and it's in a box. 
And hey, it's part of the culture that you build your desk. And like, I've that's literally been me, you know, and like, I've had yeah. to go through that. And so I do feel strongly that when you're onboarding new reps, there has to be structure and, and expectations. But I think, which I think is what you're saying, but I also agree with you 100%. I'm dealing with a customer, a client right now, where she they just onboarded new, new reps last week. And they're like, we're doing the role-playing exercise. And they're checking the boxes by asking the questions, but they're just checking the boxes. And, and so we're not going to put them on the phones yet because they don't, they don't seem like they care. They don't yep. seem like they're curious. Yep. And they don't have their own stories to tell that go yep. along with that. And, uh, and, I, and I think that, that that transition to like, being able to internalize the words that are coming out of your mouth. So it's an actual business conversation. Like how the fuck do we get there? You, you throw away the scripts, you throw away all that bullshit and you, and you hire differently too. I, I made this mistake. So I worked for Jack Welsh uh, to get his online MBA program off the ground a little while ago, him and Susie. Right. Um, but back, he's always been a, a business idol of mine. And back when I, my first startup, the one we sold the staples, you know, when we were five people, 10 people, 20 people, like everybody was fired up. Everybody was going above and beyond and all that other stuff. Right. When we got to 50, like literally the number 50, I vividly remember having that 51st person that we hired. They just, they just did their job. They had no passion for it. They just showed up and did it. And I remember quite like going to a, one of the Jack Welsh Q and A's and it's you know, a thousand people in the stadium. And I, you know, you can stand up. and all he does is do Q and A's. He doesn't like actually present anything. And so I stood up and I had my question. I said, Jack, 50 people, you talk so much about passion and da, 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 da. I'm like, and I asked a dumb question, which was, how do you instill your passion on somebody else to get them to be that bought in? And he goes, you're looking at it all. So in front of a thousand people, he said, you're looking at it all the wrong way. He's like, you can't teach, you can't transfer your passion to somebody else. You have to hire yeah. that. Yeah. You can teach skill. You can teach technique. You can teach process. You cannot teach drive. You cannot teach passion. No, right. That moment changed my entire perspective on how I hire. Now yeah, you can't teach curiosity. You can't, can't teach, teach curiosity. That. So, so I, I now, when I ask you, like when I'm interviewing you, one of my questions is what are you passionate about? And by the way, I could give a shit what you're passionate about. I care how you describe what you're passionate about. Because if you're like, oh, I really enjoy customers and working with customers to make sure that they really get all the services that they need and uh, really get supported the way they want. Like, uh, fuck it. That just screams bullshit. That's like, bullshit. Exactly. Like, that's your passion. You should, or, holy shit, the fucking Celtics are in the goddamn finals right now. Like, did you see them at the beginning of the fucking season? They were absolutely horrible. And all of a sudden, Emei kicked them right in the ass. And holy shit. And Jason Tatum, man, I hope he grows a spine and drops 40 tonight. Because if we don't, we're going to lose the fuck. Like, if you just, even though the Celtics have nothing to do with this conversation, the fact that you showed me you got some juice. Now my job as a manager is to take that juice and give it over here and help you funnel that. And it's why I don't care about product. I wish companies would take product and stuff it up their ass for at least a month before they give it to the rep. What you should be teaching the rep in that first month is the why. Why are they here? Sales is the transfer of enthusiasm, period. That's what it is. If you do not believe in what you're selling, then go fucking find something else to do. All right. Because I'll John, talk to me. Talk to I me absolutely about love that. The transfer of enthusiasm. That's I just love that. There's no transfer of enthusiasm. You got to fucking hire it. If your recruiting sucks and your first line manager, whoever is signing off on that person, and they, these people come in and they don't have a vision board, goals, or a reason why, or they need the money to transfer it for something else, 
You're fucked. You can have John Barrows all day long. No matter. You'd be like, fuck you, John Barrows. I don't need the money. Here's one. Here's one for you. Some kid asked me this, and this is how I start a lot of my trainings these days because I, I there's like 200 reps, and and I usually do a Q and A at the end. And uh, this time I was in person, this was a few years back, and the kid asked, "Hey John, you I saw your logo slide, and you train both, basically all of our competitors, right? So how do we differentiate?" And my answer was 10, 60, 30. And he goes, "What?" I go, "10 percent of you in this room who care uh, and are good are going to take this content and run with it, right? Because you know it's you know it's good and it'll help you accelerate. 60 percent of you." are going to do something different because it's easy and it makes sense. 30% of you ain't going to do shit different. So the question isn't how many people can I train? The question is what percentage do you want to be in? That's the point. I call it the give a shit factor. If you do not give a shit, there's nothing I can do. I play in the, yeah. I play in the, in the realm of give a shit uh, up to co- unconscious competence. So you know the whole consciously competent and that whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you start a job, you don't know what you don't know. So you're unconsciously incompetent. Then you move to consciously incompetent. Then you move to conscious competence, but then you move to unconscious competence. You just do, okay? That's where techniques come into play, right? But you have to give a shit first. Because if you don't give a shit, I don't care how much techniques or tips or templates I give you, it's not going to, you'll get some mediocre results, but you'll never crack through. But once you genuinely give a shit about the client, about the, 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 the profession, about business acumen, about, you know, curiosity, once you care, I'll, I'll show you all these techniques that you can use to be able to apply that so that yeah. one day you can reach this level of unconscious competence where you don't need any of those techniques. You don't need any of that shit. You're just in a conversation, but you got to get to the give a shit factor first. And I don't know how I can get you there other than modeling what give a shit looks like. So if you were analyzing a sales team, like we, I've, I've been at other companies called skill will, right? Yeah. How would you go about ranking what you should do with each of those salespeople. When should you level up? When is, when is they have the will, but they don't have the skill and how long should you wait for them to, to get the skill up? Or when should you be sort of maneuvering around that if you had to go through each of those steps? They have you the know, skill, but don't have the will. They don't have the will or the skill. They don't have the will, but all the skill. Oh, yeah. and by the way, guys, yeah. you got to get rid of the bottom 20% of your sales force riffs. Well, this is, so this is where you, you do force rank them, right? And this is a little Jack Welsh, you know, uh, he's a little draconian with his uh, top mm-hmm. and everything. But, mm-hmm. um, but Carney, you know, I think it would start with just implementing a coaching program and seeing who adapted to the coaching program, right? In the sense that like, so it's a, it, it would be a blanket thing. I wouldn't go through and test every single, I mean, I don't, maybe there's some tests out there, by the way, that shows how coachable, coachable you are and all these different things. And, you know, that's going to give me some data points, but I would actually create an initiative to create a positive vibe on this whole thing to say, you know what, we're going through a coaching initiative and here's the structure of the coaching initiative. We're going to find each one of you. We're going to talk about strengths and weaknesses. We're going to map out what I think your strengths and weaknesses are. And I want you, what you to tell me what you think your strengths and weaknesses are. And we're going to come up with a coaching plan here, right? And there's going to be some fundamentals across the board that everybody has to do, but then you are going to get your individual ones. And we're going to put some tracking things in place here. And if I can, if you take my coaching and you apply my coaching and I can see that you're, you're doing it and you're, you're asking questions and that type of stuff, your results might not be there. But the fact that I can tell that you're coachable will put yep. you on the list of I'm keeping you. And this, by yep. the way, this is what I used to do with interviews. I would, I would go through a cold, I would go through the interview process, but then I would do a cold call exercise. And what I would do is, Hey, whatever you sold beforehand, I want you to go in the other room. I'm your perfect target audience. All you have to do is get a meeting with me. So just, let's just run through that play. Right. And I would, they would, they would, some would do better than others, whatever. 
then when I would, and the point of it wasn't to see how good they went. The point of it was to see if they took my coaching because then they would come in. I would give them yeah. very direct feedback. You had a yeah. terrible intro. You divorced, you developed rapport for too long. You didn't ask for a next step. You da, 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 da. Boom. Now I want you to go back in that room. I want you to call me selling what you know, like Mike at the time, Thrive Networks. They don't know the details. They don't know the product of Thrive Networks, but they know IT services, help computers, all you're looking to do is get the meeting. Don't oversell this shit, but apply what I told you. If the ones went in there and they applied what I had told them to that, and it, those would ones would be on the top of the list as far as people that I was paying attention to. If they did the same fucking thing beforehand, I wouldn't even, I'd be like, all right, thanks for coming in. See you later. And they, that com- the, the interview would be over. You know, one of the most common questions that my sales, uh, sorry, that my clients ask me, CEOs of companies that are looking to build and scale their sales teams, John, is how do you motivate your reps? How do you motivate salespeople? And I've gotten this question and given it a lot of thought over the last 20 some odd years or whatever. And and I, I've come to the conclusion, the answer goes something like this, John. You fire them. Yeah, no, you don't. You, 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 can't, you, you, can't, you can't motivate people, okay? They're either motivated or they're not. What your responsibility is, is to put motive, higher motivated people yes. and put them into motivating environments. And so, you know, one of the things you're, you're pointing out through this exercise, which by the way, role-playing exercises suck. Yeah. And the reason why they suck though, most of the time, people in the interview process, they want to do these role-playing exercises, John, and they think that they have to do it, but they do it without a goal in mind. Right. And what you were just describing was a very, very specific goal. Are they coachable yep. or not? And I love it. They, they don't know anything about the product. They, they, who knows what their sales skills are, yep. but they come in, they stumble, they screw up. You give them coaching, send them back out and then have them come back in. And if they can level up in those 30 seconds, you, you, you can check a box on coachability, yep. which better be the goal for the role-playing exercise. Yep. Are they coachable or are they not? You can't take somebody who's not coachable nope. and make them coachable. Well, it's just like, you can't help somebody that, that doesn't want help. So for instance, like, you know, I don't know about you guys. I got friends and who have problems, you know, addiction problems or whatever it is. Like you can't help an alcoholic, for instance, until an alcoholic comes to you and says, I need fucking help. Right. You could do all these different things to get them stop being an alcoholic, but until they come to the point where they care, they give a shit of getting better. You, there's nothing you can do for them. I mean, look, and I have a similar talk track KG of, of motivation versus inspiration. I can inspire you all day long, but unless you're internally motivated. So, and I use the example of like Tony Robbins, right? Like Tony Robbins, he used to do that. You know, you walk across the coals, right? And you know, you burn your feet and he stopped doing it because he got sued a couple of times. But, <clears throat> but when you're at Tony Robbins, one of these conventions, right? You're sitting there and you're looking at those coals being like, I ain't fucking running across those. You're out of your goddamn mind, right? And then, but then Tony Robbins, huge head is in your face. So you could do it, you could do it. And you got 5,000 people around you screaming your name. You could do it, you could do it. And you're like, fuck, all right, fuck it, I'll do it. And you just run across those coals and you're like, Tony Robbins is amazing. Like, holy crap, like you did it. I'm tired. But then the question is, is next week when those coals are still there, Tony Robbins' big fat head isn't yelling in your face and you don't have 5,000 people behind you screaming your name. Are you going to run across those coals? And the answer to that for the majority of our population, unfortunately, is no. John, it's 10, 30, 60. You said it yourself. It's 10, 30, 60. 10% of those John, you know, Tony Robbins people are going to be freaking fired up and make yep. a change. Yep. And, all, and all the rest will just be sort of like, yeah, it's a blip or they'll do freaking nothing. nothing. It's human nature. It's human nature. It's human John, nature. Now... I'm old school sales. 
Okay. Fax machine, door knocking. Yep, and, been there, you know. my friend. Okay. Yep. So now, you know, video is coming to play. Mm-hmm. All right. And you better have your shit together when somebody's ready to buy because they want to make a decision. They know what they want. They want to make a decision right away. And you better have something that can explain what you do when I go online. That yeah. wasn't the case 15 years ago. Okay, you had to pay sales reps to, to create interest. Now the interest is there. Now it just needs to be closed. How is video coming in, into play, number one? And then number two, what is the touch process? Email versus uh, phone calls versus over a six-week six week period. Yeah. What do you tell your people? All right, so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, with video, I agree with you. That's why we went from the evolution of sales, right? Xerox, where I used to work, um, invented solution selling because it, it flipped from nobody had information and we held all the cards before the internet, right? Before the internet, you literally had no idea what I had. So I could show up and I could pitch you. I could say, here's my shit. What do you think? And you'd be like, wow, I've never seen that before. Go, right? Internet comes along. Holy shit. Throws the power into the, in it, right? Now with um, the, the trend that's going on with product-led growth and, and the consumerization of sales and all this other stuff, like the Amazon effect in it. If you cannot articulate your value proposition in a very succinct way to that audience, you're dead, right? So for me, I actually did a post on this uh, where I said, hey, if you're a software, let's talk uh, SaaS holes here. If you're specifically in SaaS and you have a SaaS product selling to like sales, for instance, if there is not a video on your website that I can look at in less than five minutes to, to actually physically see what it does, not to hear all the fucking wonderful things it's going to do for me, but I literally want to see it. If that isn't on your website, I, I move off of your website within seconds because there's five other companies that do what you do. And I'll just go watch one of their videos because I want to skip that line. I, I want to check off the box that says yes. So video, I think, is massively important on the front end from a marketing standpoint just to get people. Now, what you should do is by, you know, <clears throat> section it off. So it's almost like, hey, what are when you come to our website, do a self-qualification. Are you an individual? Like in our world, is it, are you an individual sales rep? Are you a team lead? Are you an executive? Well, click here. And based on that, this is what our shit does for you. And based on this, this is what our, so that's just marketing. But to your point of like touch points and how to use a video throughout the sales process, one, I think putting video as your first touch is kind of weird. I just do. I think getting a random ass video from some random ass kid. Plus, let's talk security now. When, when, when COVID hit, security ratcheted through the roof. So cybersecurity, firewalls, all that stuff through the roof. So you're going to put in links and attachments in your first and second email. The likelihood is they're not even going to get through. Okay. Um, video is meant to be a, a name to a face. It's, it, it's, it, it can show me as a person. Okay. So there's, it's meant to be personal. It's meant to be empathetic. It's meant to show that I know what I'm talking about. So usually, and you asked about the sequence here, what I'll usually do these days is I'll get a list of my top 25 accounts and the executives in those accounts that I want to follow. First thing that I do is I, I go follow them on LinkedIn and I go see if they're active in any way, shape or form. So I'll comment and, I, and I'm not just doing like the comments on there. So like, like fire, great. You know, like I'm actually putting a meaningful comment into the post, like maybe asking a question or two. When I do that, I immediately after that hit them with a LinkedIn request and I don't personalize the LinkedIn request. We're getting a five times higher uh, acceptance rate when we don't personalize than when we do. Because if you personalize, you're effectively forcing me to look at you, right? So now I have to look at you, you know, like who is this person? Oh shit, it's a sales rep. And I don't care how non-salesy it is. I mean, probably not. But if you just hit the request, I might just hit yes. So now the key to that is 
you and I are now connected. And this is where this comes in and where I think a lot of people can use to help evolve towards video. Now I'm going to go out. I'm not going to pitch slap you. The last thing that you want to do is as soon as somebody accepts your invite is to pitch slap them and tell them all the fucking things of how great you are. Like that's the fastest way to get disconnected. So I'm going to go to your website. I'm going to do some research. I'm going to make a phone call, send an email to you about some stuff that I found and all that other stuff. Right. And then probably the fourth or fifth touch, I'm coming back on LinkedIn and I'm doing a LinkedIn video. And for those of people who don't know, right, LinkedIn video, it's, it, you don't have to pay for it. It's on the app. You can only do it on the app and you can only do it if you're one connected. But then I'm going to do a video and I'm going to say something like this, Pete. Hey, Pete, what's going on? Um, you know, a couple of weeks back, you posted something that got my attention and, and that's why I connected with you. And as I learned more about your business, I actually noticed here on LinkedIn, you're hiring a whole bunch of SDRs. And I'm curious, you know, we, we train SDRs and, you know, we help them get going ramped right out of boot camp with our training. And we work with some cool companies. I just thought it'd be worth a conversation. You hit me back, Pete, and let me know if you'd be open to it like that right there. That gets me about a 35% response rate if I do that right. Now, there's tools like Vidyard and all that other stuff that you can do. The, the tip I'll make on those is please, I beg you, if you're listening to this, do not follow their best practices of the fucking whiteboard bullshit where it superimposes your name, pretending like it's personalized. And then when you lift it up, it's like, hey, you, thank you so much for, you know what I mean? Like, again, video should be personalized. Two small ones after though, my favorite uh, as, um, usage of video, uh, objection handling and delivering proposals. Objection handling. Say we're middle of the sales process. You send me an email later on that says, hey, John, we got to push this till Q Q4 or you know, we've gone in a different direction. Obviously, you want to call them immediately and be like, hey, what's up? Like what happened here? They're not going to pick up that phone. And what are you going to write this really well thought out articulate email that's going to hold them to task? Bullshit. Open up a video and be like, Hey, Pete, look, I got your email, man. I, I get it. Look, priorities change, timelines change, all that stuff. I'm a little confused here though. You know, you had said earlier that your main priorities were bang, bang, and boom, and your timeline was this. And the fact that if you don't hit that timeline, this is the impact to your business. So look, I understand things change. Would you mind just giving me five minutes so we can get on a call so I can understand what's changed? And look, if, if it's not the right time, it's not the right time, but I just want to make sure I'm, I'm working with the right information here. That right there gets me like a 10% response rate on, on objections versus a 0% response rate through email. And the last one, KG, before is uh, delivering proposals. Obviously, we want to deliver proposals to power, right? So you have your proposal you, and you're dealing with non-power. You want to get to power, right? They won't let you right? Awkward questions, piss off your point of contact, whatever. So then what you do is this, you light up a video and you bring up your proposal on the screen and you go like this and say, so it's uh, say it's Jim and Sarah. Jim's my main point of contact. Sarah's the executive. I go to Jim. Hey, Jim, uh, thank you so much. Look, instead of just sending you the PDF, I wanted to walk you through this proposal real quick. Oh, and by the way, if you wanted to send this up to Sarah, feel free. Um, and Sarah, uh, by the way, if, if you're watching this, just want to let you know, Jim has been fantastic through the sales process. Man, he's been great to deal with. Kiss his ass a little bit. Uh, and then you just walk, don't go through the details of the proposal, but then you go like this, you go, all right, so here's the what you said, what our priorities, what your priorities, and there's the parts of our solution that map to that. You can look through the details later, but I just really wanted to reinforce what you told me and how I constructed this. So feel free to let me know if you have any questions. Now what happens is you send it to Jim. You watch how long Jim watched it, if he watched it. Then because you just did Jim's job for him by presenting it to Sarah, he forwards it up to Sarah. Now you're sitting in front of the executive. And, and so those are some use cases of video. If you're not comfortable on video right now, I don't know what you're doing. I don't care if you're ugly. I mean, like I got a, I got a face for radio, right? So like most of us do get on the fucking thing. Like you don't, and it doesn't, and the more, you know, authentic it is the better, right? Don't, you know, I, I call it one call, well, you know, one cut videos. Don't 
do a video and screw up and stop and try to get it perfect. Fuck up on the video. Be like, I'm sorry. I totally lost my train of thought. This is my first time doing <laughs> video here, but I just really wanted to make sure I got this point across. And if you do that, the people yeah. will respond in spades. Raw authenticity. Go ahead, KG. Well, no, real simple. I mean, what, what you, with respect to the objection handling, mm -hmm. if you leave a voicemail, all you've got the voice, you, yep. you write a, uh, an email, it could appear to be nasty, even though you're trying, you're not trying to be nasty. Yep. There's so much lost in translation using the video for object objection handling, I think is, is genius Doctor because it, it, it has all that, that context there, the visual, and you can hear mm -hmm. the words that are coming out that you wrote an email and sound like you're being an asshole. But when you do it with, with, you know, as uh, right. Pete says, Concerns. raw authenticity, it's uh it's cool. 83557. Dr. Albert Moravian's communication model. 8% of the way that we read emotions in people is based on the words that we use. 35% is the tonality and how we use those words. And 57% is body language. That's why phone is better than email, but that's why video is better than phone. You do your program, mm -hmm. then you leave, mm -hmm. and then you got a, a sales trainer or you got some sales manager that's got to carry out your, uh, your wisdom. I mean, How do you get somebody to oversee to make sure they're carrying out your process? Uh, nobody wants to pay for that. <laughs> so let's put it that way. I don't because nobody wants to pay for what it would actually take from, because what you're doing there is you're asking me to do your job. So my answer to that question, this is, this is why I'm in training and not consulting. I'm like the grandparents. I come and I play with the kids and I get the fuck out. The direct line managers are the ones if you're, and so when somebody asks me, John, what's your reinforcement plan? My direct question to them is, I don't know where your manager is going to be in the, in the training. And if your managers are going to be sitting in the back, checking their emails or off camera on Zoom, then I, you can throw your money at me. It'll be a waste. You know what I mean? Like what, what's the stat? Like 84% of shit that goes into somebody's house gets lost. Whatever that number is, that's what's going to happen. That's the 10, 60, 30. 10% is like, we'll take it and run with it. 60% will do something different. 30% won't do shit. That's left to our own accord. So it's, it's all right. How committed are you to this? Well, we're really committed. Okay, well then I'm going to do a prep call with your managers to let them know what's coming. I'm, they're going to take the training actually beforehand. They're going to go through the online shit. I can always tell when a company's going to actually get the most out of this because we usually give people access to our online content, the managers. We have a prep call and a kickoff about a two to three weeks before we kick it off for the reps. And I give all the managers access to the videos and I say, go through those videos and then we'll come together again about a week beforehand to answer questions, talk about reinforcement and coaching and all that other stuff. And I can always tell when a company is going to get the most out of this training versus the ones that don't. The ones that don't are easy to spot. Nobody logs into the portal. Nobody watches the videos. They don't have any questions on that second meeting. And I'm, and, and I'm not like, I don't give it, you know what I mean? Like ultimately I care, but I don't care that much. You're not my kids. You're not my company. You, you're paying the bill. You know what I mean? So I, I give a shit as much as you give a shit. But if you don't give a shit, I'll take your money. I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like throw it at me. Like. Cool. Was, and by the way, I'll, I'll and I, I ask this question to leaders a lot because I'm, I fit right in the middle ground. I don't know where you guys are, but I fit right in the middle ground of like caring enough in the sense that I'm not too grand, a, you know, too grand. That's a throwaway and who cares? Put that on your credit card. So nobody cares. But I'm also not like the Miller Hyman of, you know, 
million dollar rollouts and that type of stuff. Like when that happens, you have executive buy-in, you have people stuffing it down people's throats, you have coaching the whole thing. I'm in the 30, 40, 50 grand range, which is just enough to say I've invested in my team, but not enough to actually care about the follow-up. So I, I've come to that, you know, I've come to that religion. And I say to executives a lot of time when they ask about ROI and all this, I'm like, just shut up with your ROI conversation. I'm like, please, fine. You want ROI of this training? Great. Um, what are your current conversion ratios to your tier one accounts using email techniques to the executive? Like, what's that conversion ratio right there? Tell me that number and I'll tell you. You don't, you know, you don't know shit. And they and don't know like, shit. Uh, and they like, don't know Can shit. Can we just be square here? Why are yeah. you making this investment? Is, is, is half of it just to basically show that you've made the investment in your team? And then they almost all of them go. <laughs> all right, then shut up about your ROI. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of ROI, guys, we run it. We're getting to the end of the show, but uh, we got a fucking storm coming now. And you know, I'm sure you guys have been through a few rifts yourselves. Oh. And uh, you know, people are going to start cutting budgets. And already are. Well, even more. Yeah. Yeah. And then now it's like, all right, we got to get. I mean, look at coin, Coinbase. I mean, oh. we grew too fast. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oops. Oops. So I, I know. So what, number one, what's, what are you seeing out there? Number two, you got any advice for these? I know you don't want to, you're not in the leader coaching business, but no, I do. So, some people are going to have to get cut here. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. you got some of these new startups and say, you know, I really like that guy. I'm going to keep him. <laughs> I'm going to give her to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think this is going to go back to, I think what everybody needs to do right now is, is recenter a little bit on, on what's important to them, their values, their why, all that stuff. You know, look, we're headed into a downturn. We're headed, who gives a shit? Like this, I've been through three massive ones in my career already, and this is going to be no different. You know what I mean? Um, I it might be slightly different, whatever, but one thing for me is, and, and I, the reason I speak about this is because I've literally just gone through it recently. Like, you know, about, um, uh, about a year and a half ago, my dad passed away and I was, kind of threw me for a loop, not because he passed. I got a great relationship with my dad. He was, you know, 82 years old. So it's not like he was young, you know, but he shouldn't have died because it was, it was a bad thing. But, um, but what threw me for a loop was the fact that I I got ripped out of my business uh, for about four or five weeks. And for the first time I wasn't working 20 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, driving revenue, all that stuff. And when I came back, the company was running like a drum, like everything was rock solid company. Clients were happy. Revenue was there. And I was like, Holy shit. You know, like, like, yay but where does that leave me like what value my value was directly tied to driving revenue to build this being the number one revenue generator and my ceo abilities were me sitting in my hot tub stoned off my ass calling my chief growth officer being like hey try this out i don't know i gotta i'll see you in, you know i'll be in japan tomorrow see you later right that was the extent of it and so for the past year or so i've just been kind of wandering and not not lost but just looking looking for purpose again and those type of things and so i decided to kind of reset on my personal why my personal values and and i did it early in my career and it couldn't have been more helpful because that is what i call your decision stack so if you are if you are clear of your why and your core values okay and what your priorities are based on the new world order wherever we're at um then when decisions come up you line it up against that and say, does it align? If it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Because I always say, if you and I have core values, if we're on the same page with core values, we can argue until the cows come home, but we're going to both come to, a, we might agree to disagree, but we'll we'll come to a place of, of, all right, cool, we're good. But if you and I have different core values, we're just going to argue. 
So my, my recommendation for reps right now in organizations, first of all, reps are looking for purpose. The good ones are looking for more than just a commission check. So you better get your shit together as far as your why and your values. And I would scream those from the mountaintop. And by the way, this isn't just an exercise to put your stupid mission statement up on your website and feel good about it. Live it, right? And profess it and, and expl- you know, tell people, hire based on those values, Right now, if you're a rep, because guess what? If you hire based on core values and reps join because of core values and you paint a good vision for them, they'll stick through. The good ones will stick through the downturns. Okay. But if they don't, they'll bail as fast as possible. On the other hand, reps, if you don't know what your values are, if you don't know what your why is, you're just going to go around kind of popping and, you know, because it's a hot company, it seems like they're going to get paid good commissions and you're just going to churn and burn. And you will be one of those reps right now that gets their head cut off because you're just looking for, you chased Coinbase. You made the, you know, you jumped to some bullshit company that was super hot because the you went to Zoom, for instance, because like, give me a fucking break. Selling for Zoom for the past two years. I mean, they're, they're, a, spark, they're, they're a sponsor of ours and I love them to death, but- Last year, do you think it was really that hard to sell Zoom for crying out loud? Like, please. And so, so now all those reps are like struggling, the ones who chase the money, right? Now they're all struggling and they're probably going to get fired. But if they had the good values and they chose Zoom for the right reasons, because they believed in Zoom's mission, they did, you know, believed in Zoom's values and all that other stuff. I guarantee you those are the ones Zoom's going to keep, even if you weren't crushing wouldn't, your number, quote unquote. Wouldn't you say it's back to passion? If you're doing something you're passionate about and you love, you're probably safe. And uh, if not, if you're not happy, look out. You're not fucking safe. Fuck you talking about. You're safer. You're safer safer if you've been able to apply that and and you've been able to uh, show it. You know what? The way you show up, the way you, you know what I mean? Like you're Mm -hmm. on screen in the Zoom sessions. You're, you know, you're you're asking questions to your managers. You're reaching out to executives that are not your direct line, frontline manager, getting a better understanding of the business. You know what I mean? You push your executives on not living those values and those whys because, you know, you can hold them accountable. If you're that type of passion, then shit. Yeah, man, you're, you're not, you're not. If that uh, passion means you're in the top 5% of sales. Okay. I, I hear you. Anything else? It's like, see you later. Yeah. Depends. I mean, it depends on who your frontline manager is. You know, that's the number one dictator of, of you know, people who are staying or leaving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, John, sell me on your book, man. Plug it. What do you got? Yeah. So, I, you know, everybody's asked me when I'm going to write a book. And I feel like a bit of a hypocrite because I don't read much. Uh, and, you know, I was a I was a state school kid, drank my way through four years of college. But um, and I also think most books are bullshit because they're, they're like, you know, 20 percent of most books are legit, but they have to fill it with the other 80 percent so they can get it to 200 pages so they can sell it for yeah, $24.99. Yeah, editor, yeah. Um, so I like blogs. I like so I didn't I didn't want to just write a book. And plus, what a what hasn't been written about sales, right? So like, what the hell new am I going to, so I decided instead to go back and one of my, so let's go, let's tie this to why my why is to elevate the profession of sales. Cause I genuinely believe that when sales is done right, it's the greatest profession in the world. When done wrong, it's one of the worst. And I've tried to do that through my training, but it's almost like I'm catching kids too late because they, most kids fall into sales. What I want to do is I want to introduce sales as a career to kids, because when you tell your kid, you're a doctor, a lawyer, whatever it is, they have context. They see that on TV. They understand it. When you tell your kid you're in sales, they're like, what, what, what is that? I don't even know what that is. And most people's perception is super negative. And so what I did was my daughter, the other thing is I was traveling so much that I was a weekend dad, basically. And I was trying to get my daughter to understand a little bit more and and somehow stay connected with her. So, So one year she was selling Girl Scout cookies and she came and said, Hey daddy, you know, I have a link where you can share. I know you have a big social media following. Could you share this on your social profile? And I was like, no. 
And she's like, why not? I'm like, first of all, those are my, that's my network that I've worked my ass off to get. And second of all, why would they buy from you compared to anybody, any other kids selling them Girl Scout cookies? She's like, all right, well, what do I need to do? And I was like, you need to come up with a pitch. So we came up with a little video of her pitching her cookies and I did a blog post on it. Next year we were going door to door. So I taught her objection handling, did a blog post on it. And it evolved to this book called, I want to be in sales when I grow up. And it's her journey of understanding what the true essence of sales is all about. Right. And, and I always tell people this, it is not about sales. If, if, if you think sales is about convincing anybody of something, you are doing it wrong. Sales is about helping people solve problems or achieve goals, period. That's it. And if, you, and if your problems aren't big enough, your goals aren't big enough, why are we having this conversation? And so if you have that context of this is a noble profession, if done right, you don't have to screw people to make money and, and kids look at it as a profession, well, maybe when they get out of high school, they don't have to go into $400,000 worth of debt to get a $40,000 a year fucking job and realize that too late and then get into sales and get the shit kicked out of them because they got a territory and a quota and say, good luck. They could actually maybe say, hey, instead of going to college, maybe, maybe I go sell some shit. Maybe, maybe I maybe make some money first, understand the business world a little bit here, and then decide to go to college if I really want to, right? Those are the type of things, so. That's why I wrote this book. And by the way, last thing here is I want to get more women into sales, which is why my, 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 it's based on my daughter. Uh, I think women are some of the best sales professionals on the planet. And last but not least, the uh, I, I don't make any money on it. So it's it, 100% of the profits go to charity. So uh, my daughter does not actually want to be in sales when she grows up. She actually wants to be a veterinarian. <laughs> so uh, all profits go to the World Wildlife Fund, uh, try to save a few animals here. And we gave a check for $25,000 last year to the World Wildlife Fund, which is pretty damn cool. Woohoo! Damn. John, you taking any new clients? Always, always, my friend. Oh, the right how one. How, the right how do they get hold of you? Yeah, uh, easy as, uh, you know, jbarrows.com. My email is john at jbarrows, J-B-A-R-R-O-W-S.com. Uh, for reps out there, though, the, the best way, I mean, LinkedIn, and this is going to sound like a humble brag, it kind of is, but it's true. Uh, I've reached the 30,000 connection limit on LinkedIn, so I can't accept any more connections. Uh, but you can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, but the best way to get in touch with me is actually Instagram. So Instagram uh, handle is John, J-O-H-N-M as in Michael Barrows. Uh, that's where I do free consulting. So if any reps have any questions about anything, they can hit me up on Instagram. I'll get right back to them. So those are some, some ways that uh, people can get a hold of me here. You're, you're wicked smart. Wicked smart, kid. It's pissa. Go Celtics. <laughs> John, thanks for coming on the show, man. Love uh, thanks for being uh, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate this. It was a fun conversation. I like it when I can uh, let loose a little bit, not after. Of course, of course. <laughs> On behalf of Jamie, Justin, KG, myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. If you like what you heard today, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm just telling you, the algorithms really love it when you hit that little bell and subscribe. It'll take 30 people from learning about SAS to 3,000. We'd like to say thanks to our Patreon supporter for supporting our content. It's a real ego boost. Please give us five stars on the Apple Podcasts. Hey, do you know anything about Brent Keltner? He's got a master class. I've heard it's a masterful master class. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you got a challenge for training and enablement stuck in the old product-driven model, the, the even bigger challenge is changing the product-driven mindset. Your solution is Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass with sales and marketing expert Brent Keltner. It's a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. We'd also like to thank Aaron J. and Trent S. Hey, let's not forget about Iron Man. Unlock key account growth with Demand Farm Smart Software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Iron Man.
Hey, recruiters, you're looking for a, uh, a good software manager? We got a good one here. 10 years. I don't know what these acronyms are, but there's a no in there. Check it out. Email Pete at sassholes.net if you're interested. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Cue the non-copyrighted music. Oh, 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 oh